If anyone's curious about why I am not going to stop talking about the COVID flu and the PSYOP response, uh, it's because of people like this. Healthcare professionals have said to me, if you think COVID is bad, when it comes to climate change, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's the grandmother of all health threats. COVID and climate change are compounding each other and they're adding pressures on already weak health systems and staff. And it's why business as usual is not an option. And it's why now we need to truly have health at the center of all our policies, energy, transport, agriculture. Health, health, he says, health. COVID is not, nor has it ever impacted our hospitals, not once, ever. At the beginning of the launch of the Great Reset, what impacted hospitals was wrong policy. The exact wrong approach to what was SARS-CoV-2 at the time. You will remember the, the nurses, traveling nurses, making videos in the hospitals in New York saying they are killing people with respirators. These people should, or rather on ventilators, these people should not have been vented. So my mind is completely open. I have watched our so-called healthcare system agree to chemically and surgically mutilate kids to pretend that a penis is a clitoris. Same thing, which means that a thumb is also a penis. I have watched them not respond to the fact that there has never been a serotonin deficit. And yet kids, including mine, are on dangerously addictive psychotropics. Not a blip. And they're currently pretending that the mRNA injections are not killing people and that we don't have all-cause mortality going through the roof. So my mind is completely open. You're about to hear from a guy named Dr. Lawrence Polveski, MD. He is a pediatrician by training and works in pediatric ERs. I asked him about the beginning of his career. Well, I started medical school in 1983, and uh, I can't say that in the first 17 years or 15 years of practice that I ever saw the doctor being told not to practice medicine the way the doctor was trained to practice medicine. And so it was really in the late 90s that I got to see what was under the rock, like what was really going on underneath I saw what happened when I started to learn things that I wasn't taught in medical school or residency. And when I took it to my colleagues who were science people, they basically said, shh. Go. And the same sort of dynamic happened when they launched the Great Reset and SARS-CoV-2 was being talked about. When I first saw people getting sick in New York in March of 2020, it was very clear that the illness that they were getting uh, was different than a flu-like illness. And those of us who were aware of what was happening in March of 2020 did a backtrack several months, December 2019, November 2019, and started recalling 
strange kinds of illnesses that people were getting. Illnesses like blood disease. And that sounds very, very familiar. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. And this is a show where we get to do things like promote a soap company run by a young man so high up on the autism scale. He's not really able to form sentences. It's alansoaps.com slash Todd. And we're also able to promote truth-telling across industries like my friend Zach Abraham at Bulwark Capital Management. He'll be on with us tomorrow. Uh, Zach has been warning us about what we're about to go through. And you heard the quote from the World Health Organization. You think that your investments are not at risk? That your retirement, you may be retired or five to 10 years out from retirement. You now have the World Health Organization explaining that they, when they say health, they mean them. The Chinese Communist Party and Bill Gates and the World Health Organization needs to be at the center of transportation and energy and policy on everything. They want the technocrats managing, governing, bossing by emergency diktat on everything. There has never been a more important time to get with Zach at Bulwark Capital Management and make sure your portfolio is 100% calibrated for the chaos economy. And that's what Bulwark Capital Management does. They're all about risk management. Here's the phone number. Write it down. Memorize it. It's not that hard. 866-779-RISK. That's 866-779-RISK. Or their website, you can do that as you listen to the cast if you're not driving. Knowyourriskradio.com. KnowYourRiskRadio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement, Bulwark Capital Management, and investment advisor representative, Trek Financial LLC, and SEC registered investment advisor. Dr. Lawrence Polevsky joins me on the Todd Herman Show, or Dr. Larry. Uh, I want to make sure I get the last name as right as I can. Doctor, appreciate you coming on the Todd Herman Show. Welcome. Uh, thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, you, you have come into a time of being a doctor when I cannot imagine uh, the frustration for people who want to speak truth and simply talk from what is and is not science and what is and is not scientifically rigorous. And let me start with a broad question. Uh, have you ever observed a time like this before where you have states like California now telling doctors it is illegal to disagree with politicians about medicine? Well, I, I started medical school in 1983. Yeah. And uh, I can't say that in the first 17 years or 15 years of practice that I ever saw the doctor being told not to practice medicine the way the doctor was trained to practice medicine. And so it was really in the late 90s that I got to see what was under the rock, like what was really going on underneath. 
I saw what happened when I started to learn things that I wasn't taught in medical school or residency. And when I took it to my colleagues who were science people, they basically said, shh, go away. And I said, but but this is this is in a really this is a leading journal. This is an article that's a leading journal with leading scientific conclusions. Nope, go away. Shh, go away. And this was in the mid to late nineties. And I thought, something's wrong here. I mean, I was trained at a at a medical school with rigorous scientific method uh, approaches where we were we were beaten on how to assess a paper, how to look at the scientific method, how to rip apart a paper, how to come up with proper scientific method designs. I mean, we were beaten. I mean, it was it was part of our education to have a journal club and really work it through. And then fast forward to really what I started to notice in the late 90s until now, it was, uh, oh, no, you only get to speak what it is we tell you to speak about because we decide what's true and what's science. And the initial response I had in the mid to late 90s was anger. Like, you know, who died and left you in charge? Like, since when did you become the 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 bearer of all standards of scientific method? And then I started to realize that this was a bigger behemoth than I could have ever imagined, that there was, there was deviousness and evil and sinisterness, if that's a word, uh, in the, the education that I've never seen before. Like I knew as a medical student from 1983 to 87, you know, pharmaceutical companies we're basically paying your lunches and maybe taking you on weekends and, you know, giving you things. And I thought, oh, that's cool. But then I really understood what was going on underneath. And I started to see that medical education in the mid to late 90s uh, was becoming more protocol medicine, algorithm medicine, uh, insurance based, telling you what to do medicine. And then the doctors were becoming uh, mechanics and robots. There was very little room for critical thinking, for thought, for evaluation of a case, of looking at all the possibilities, of deviating from the treatment program that the hospital insurance companies and the doctors said were the only ways to treat the patient. And I thought, no, that's, that's not, it is not good. I mean, I was running in a pediatric intensive care unit in the mid to late nineties. And I would do things that I knew were supported in the literature. And I had colleagues who told me, you can't do that. I'm like, but it's right there in the literature. This is, this is, a, 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 this is how I save the kid's life. I'm like, no, no, you can't do that. And so it, it really started to snowball in the mid to late nineties that, uh, and till today where medical students are, are purely, um, slaves and residents are slaves and hospitalists are just slaves. They just do what they're told. 
anything that uh, is outside the realm of what they know to do is a wooden nickel in a slot machine. It's just, uh, it does not compute. And so medicine is not practiced. Um, recipes are practiced. Algorithms are practiced. Protocols are practiced. Insurance companies run the way in which patients are cared for, what drugs they can't get, what drugs they can get, how much is paid, reimbursed, what doctors get, what doctors don't get. Um, it, it's become um, an ugly, ugly uh, situation for most patients who continue to choose a, a system that's actually uh, not in looking out for their benefit yeah. at all. I, I was hoping to hear that it used to be a lot better. And uh, let me share with you as a layperson, uh, my introduction to how corrupt things were is about a, well, about eight years ago, um, our family went through an adolescent um, and family mental health um, journey. And in that period, I met a lot of parents whose kids had suddenly discovered that they were not the biological sex with which they were born. And they made this announcement and um, families would take their kids to the doctor thinking a doctor would say, well, no, I mean, you're a girl. Uh, but to their utter shock and amazement, doctors said, yeah, you're a boy. And let's get you signed up for wrong sex hormones and get you on a surgical path. And they would sit parents down and they, and it was a script doctor. They would sit them down and say, the next 45 seconds, you're going to decide whether your child lives or dies. So the question for you is, we know you're used to having a daughter. Do you want to have a living son or a dead daughter? You need to choose. And that's how it was presented to parents. There is no cure. Nothing can be done. This never goes away. Uh, your, your daughter was born with a boy's brain in their, in their head. And parents bought this. And I took it to investigative reporters. I had 20 families who were facing effectively medical, kid, medical kidnapping. And I took it to uh, investigative reporters and they, they wouldn't report on it. They said, we can't touch it. No. My, own, my own doctor, our family doctor, I brought it up to her. She said, oh no, Todd, that's insane. No one would ever remove the breasts of a healthy 14-year-old girl. I said, but no, Maria, you're wrong. So when I saw COVID and I saw the response to this, and as a guy who's dealt in data for a long time, and I saw that there was absolutely no baseline measurement for what constituted a case. You know, it could be a 40 cycle, 50 cycle PCR threshold. It could be a, you know, a rumor. It could be, I have a fever. I realized if there's no baseline for what constitutes the illness, this, this can't be about health. Or, and if it is, they think it's about health. It's terrible doctoring. Um, was there ever any benchmark for what constituted an illness from SARS-CoV-2? <clears throat> oh, there's a lot in there, Todd. Um, when I first saw people getting sick in New York in March of 2020, it was very clear that the illness that they were getting uh, was different than a flu-like illness. And those of us who were aware of what was happening in March of 2020 did a backtrack several months, December 2019, November 2019, and started recalling strange kinds of illnesses that people were getting that just didn't look like a flu at all. 
And so when I started to see what was happening in March of 2020, we started to see something that presented as a blood disorder, not as a lung disorder. But the narrative that came out was so twisted that it not only changed what patients were experiencing, but the narrative silenced doctors who were saying, this is not a lung disorder. This is a blood disorder. Those doctors were silenced. Some were fired. Some were relocated in their jobs. And then I experienced the illness. And uh, having been a physician at that time for over 30 years, 33 years, I knew what a poisoning felt like. I knew what a poisoning looked like. And I knew what a flu-like illness looked like. And there was nothing about this illness that looked like it was a flu because the symptoms were very different. You know, when people have a flu-like illness, there's usually a lot of coughing with mucus and discharge and drainage. And this illness was the opposite. There was no discharge. There was no mucus being produced. It was a dry cough. And sometimes when people have a flu-like illness, their oxygen levels go down, but their carbon dioxide levels go up, which means they begin to go into respiratory failure. People who were developing this illness, including myself, our oxygen levels were going down but our carbon dioxide levels were normal. And so having run a pediatric intensive care unit and worked in an emergency room, I know how to differentiate between low oxygen related to a lung problem and low oxygen related to a blood disorder. And this was consistent with low oxygen related to a blood disorder. And I kept talking about it and doctors kept talking about it. And those who were w wide enough in their range to talk about it were squelched. And there was a protocol that was incorporated to take care of people as if they had a lung disorder. And so that included putting on a ventilator, certain medications in the hospital, and those people were killed by that protocol because they were being treated for an illness that was said to be a respiratory illness, a lung disorder, when in fact the real problem was a blood disorder. So this was March, April, May of 2020. Fast forward to the end of 2020, scientific literature puts out this illness is consistent with a blood disorder and starts explaining how it's a blood disorder. But all of that got pushed under the rug and it still got proposed and pushed as a lung disorder. And, a, a, you know, meanwhile, what were people getting, Todd? They were getting blood clots. That's not a respiratory disorder. They were getting strokes. That's not a respiratory disorder. They were getting something called COVID toes, where they were getting clots and, and purple marks in their toes. That's not a lung disorder. 
That's a blood disorder. They were getting kidney problems, liver problems. They were getting secondary lung problems as a result of the blood disorder. They were getting neurological problems. That's not a lung disorder. That's not a lung disease. That was a blood disorder. And, you know, being astute enough to know that when you have a set of symptoms you, you, and you're not sure what's causing it, you have to do what's called a differential diagnosis. So what could be causing these types of symptoms in groups of people? And one of the first things I thought of was a poisoning because it felt like a poisoning, it looked like a poisoning, it acted like a poisoning, and it responded to treatment as if it were a poisoning. Because I worked with homeopaths, with acupuncturists who did Chinese medicine and herbs. I worked with uh, other medical doctors who used other interventions other than pharmaceuticals. And they all saw this was a poisoning. Now, the question is, what kind of poisoning? Right? Was it radiation poisoning? Because that was raised as a possibility. And I raised it very early on in March and April of 2020. Was it an airborne poisoning? Was it because, you know, we know that there are white plumes of material coming out of the sky that really don't look like they're exhaust from airplanes, right? And then there was question, is it a water poisoning? Is it a food poisoning? You know, many of us thought it was a wavelength poisoning, which is the radiation uh, effect. Because all of those poisonings can dislodge oxygen from the red blood cell, making this low oxygen with normal lung function. That's what it looked like. So in doing that, there was very little chance that this was a virus. Almost no chance that this was a virus, because this is not how viruses, as we think we understand them, yeah. operate in the body. So let's so, let's let's explore that in a second. Can we explore yeah, that in a second? Yes, because I want to make sure that I catch up mentally. Um, there's so much to consume here, and you're so good at this. Let me let me catch up mentally. Let me just do this real quick, and then I want you to explain about um, could this be a virus? Is it a virus? I want to get into, oh, there's so much I want to discuss with you. I'll make, make sure I do this right. Dr. Lawrence Paul Levesky. I get it? Pilevsky. 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 Dang it. Pilevsky. You're good. All right. I'm getting Practice there. makes perfect. <laughs> hey, if you're watching the video, um, then you see I'm wearing my Bonefrog coffee hat. It's bonefrog.us. These guys are getting ready to turn a big corner, friends. And it's, you've been part of this. Tim is a 25-year Navy veteran. He's a, he's a Navy SEAL. Uh, he was a medic in combat with the Navy SEALs. He's uh, still a physician's assistant, by the way. Um, and he found the Bone Frog Coffee, yes, to make a living for his family and to create a legacy. But you'll notice on every bag, it says God Country Team. And every time they sell a bag of coffee, some of the proceeds go to the Navy SEAL Foundation. And so this this helps fund the lives and helps lift the lives of, of family members whose whose um, whose dads gave their lives in defense of this country, Navy SEALs. But it goes down to the coffee. So I, I'll make it a big pitch for Christmas time and bone frog. Put it in stockings. If you know someone's a SEAL, you know that they were in the Navy. This is a no brainer. But I'll also say this. It just go down to the products. 
I've been telling you it would have been so easy for Tim Cruikshank, my brother, to just private label some junk coffee somewhere and put a beautiful Navy SEAL story around it. That's not what he did. He recruited Dave Stewart, who helped start Seattle's best coffee. Google him in coffee. He is legend. He does some of the roasts. He advises on the roasts. He advises Tim on the business. This company's getting ready to just pounce, as they would say, to take off. It's bonefrog.us. And this is what you get because we helped the company get to this point. And it's been an honor to do that. You get 5% off lifetime on the subscriptions. So yes, you can get it in espresso. You can get it in French press. You can get it in drip. You can get it in whole bean, K-cup, all of that. It's at bonefrog.us. That way, Tim knows I'm doing my part of the deal. Tim always does his part of the deal. It's bonefrog.us. And Christmas gifts, other gifts, phenomenal way to do it. Give someone a subscription. Bonefrog.us. My head's swimming a little bit because now we're getting into some some territory I have been very, very, very curious about. Is this so you went through a differential diagnosis and you began to wonder, could this be a poisoning? Because I agree with you, it didn't seem respiratory. I remember videos from uh, traveling nurses in New York who were saying we are killing people with the ventilators. You want to know why people are dying? We're blowing their lungs up. These people are shouldn't be vented. And we can get into, I don't even know how to, I always screw up saying the name of the drug, remdesivir, later we can talk about that, which to me made perfect sense. Hey, we dropped it from another trial because it killed people. Let's use it in COVID. So in this differential diagnosis, did you come up with a, a poisoning that made sense? Um, was one question. And the other question is, um, uh, is there a SARS-CoV-2 virus? Is that what has killed okay. people? So initially... Um, all I could think of was radiation poisoning, um, because pulsing of certain wavelengths can dislodge oxygen from the red blood cells. So your red blood cells are not carrying oxygen to your tissues. So you get hypoxic, you lose oxygen, but it's not directly initially affecting your lungs until later when the loss of oxygen affects the lung tissue as well. And so that's what I originally thought it was. And then as more people started doing investigation, you know, there were ideas about, well, are there materials coming from the air that are in pockets? Because if you, if you really go back and look at how this illness emerged, it emerged in pockets. Yeah. It didn't emerge as swaths of land all over the country. It started out as pockets, which seemed kind of strange, like, you know, their airflow all over the place. How does it just go California, uh, New York, uh, New Jersey, Michigan, and uh, not many other places at the, at the level to which we were seeing it? So it, it, it occurred to me, are there, is it something that's dropping? Are there nanoparticles? Are there uh, other toxins that they're putting in relation to even with a, an additional wavelength or frequency uh, exposure that created the dislodging of the oxygen. Now, the whole thing about poison came out later when more people started talking about the possibility of snake venom. And, you know, let, let me just step back for a second, Todd. I have no proof that this is snake venom. But what I do know is that this illness was man-made. 
and it was designed for an agenda and a purpose. And I will say that if we go back in history, we have watched powerful elitist people use this protocol over and over again to kill people, to disable people, to rule over people, and to be powerful over people. So this would not be the first time that this playbook was used, which is why I was open to the possibility of, is, is, is there more than one poison? Uh, could there be other poisons that we have not investigated? The challenge that we have in our culture is every illness has to be an infection. We are hmm. absolutely blind to recognizing that you could get sick from something other than an infection. And that blows my mind because we are taught, Todd, that you don't have an organism or a germ in your body unless someone is sick and gives it to you, which means that in our mindset, we're walking around with no germs. We're, we're or the, only the germs that keep us well, but we couldn't possibly be carrying germs that make us sick because if we were exposed to germs that make us sick, we would be sick. So there's a real mythology and a bad mythology that we walk around with. And that is, you couldn't possibly be sick or you couldn't possibly have the germ unless someone is sick with the germ and gives it to you. Because no way your body could survive having that germ without being sick. And let me just tell you that that's all a crock of you-know-what. Because the human body carries well over 100 trillion bacteria. And we have over 100 trillion bacteria from living. We are constantly breathing them in and we're constantly eating them. They're constantly landing on our skin. We cannot avoid the exposure to bacteria. We touch somebody, we're exposed to bacteria. We touch a surface, we're exposed to bacteria. We eat food that's in the air, we're exposed to bacteria. We have sexual intercourse, we're exposed to bacteria. We brush our teeth, we're exposed to even more bacteria. We wipe our behinds, we're exposed to even more bacteria. We pick our nose, we're exposed to even more bacteria. We rub our skin, we're exposed to even more bacteria. We are never not exposed to bacteria. Now, we think that the only way you can get sick from a virus is if someone is sick with a virus and gives it to you. Now, the problem is that we don't think we carry viral genetic material in our bodies. Well, newsflash, more than half of our genetic material inside our cells can code for what is called viral particles and viral genetic materials. Plus, the over 100 trillion bacteria that are lining nose to lungs, mouth to anus, skin, and inside the women's reproductive systems 
are the genetic materials known to be viral particles. So in essence, we are never not exposed to viral genetic material because we've got hundreds of thousands, if not millions inside our genes. And then we have all of these bacteria that are carrying the genetic material of viruses. So the idea that the only way you can have a virus in your body is when someone is sick and gives it to you, because otherwise you can't possibly carry that virus, is utter nonsense. And so we don't even understand the idea of why the bacteria are on our bodies, why these genetic materials that can make viral particles are inside our cells, and why they're in the bacteria, and we're not sick almost all the time. And the idea that when you take a swab and put it in the nose, how do you know that the genetic material that you're calling a virus that gets on that swab isn't coming from your own cells that are breaking up or the bacteria in your nose that are breaking up and the particle, the genetic materials are what's called extravasating or exiting from the cells into the lining. So that then that's what you pick up. No, 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 no. We are only believing that if you put a swab in your nose and you get some viral material, it can only come from breathing it in because your body doesn't have any genetic material of viruses unless you're sick and those genetic materials were given to you, even though it defies what the science tells you about what's in the cells of the body and what's inside the bacteria that are lining your nose, lining your lips, lining your genitals, lining your skin all over the place. So, so we are in a dumbed down and numbed down mental state in our country because we are believing things that are untrue. We're believing things that make no sense. And we have never watched a virus actually cause disease. We cannot see a virus in action. We have never seen a virus in action, invading the cell. Never. Ever. Now, you can see bacteria. You can look at a microscope and amplify the lens enough to look and see a bacterium. And you can see them moving. And you can see them interacting. You can see them around the cells. But you have never, no one has ever watched a virus do anything. So most of our story about virus is mythology. It's a story that's made up to fit an agenda and a narrative that it's nomenclature that allows the powers that be to use it as a force for fear so that people just... Ah, yeah. get scared and then only believe 
that the only way to treat it is with a vaccine. So I am, again, trying to wrap my head around this. And and but something just occurred to me because I'm, I'm thinking about my listeners as you hear this, because, you know, you're speaking uh, things that are not to be spoken. This is why we do the show, incidentally. But something just occurred to me. And I want to remind my listeners about this in just a second, because what Dr. Polevsky. I got it. Doctor, you said practice makes perfect work, man. What Dr. Polevsky said, I want to remind you of a recent news piece that should have been the breaking news story of all stories about pharma and health. And it wasn't. And it's not COVID and it's not injecting kids with wrong sex hormones. It's something far more pervasive and harmful. We'll, We'll continue. Uh, you've heard me say it, and I'll stand by it, that getting rid of visceral fat in your body is one way to keep yourselves out of the clutches of pharma. And you, like I had 150 pounds of unwanted visceral fat. Now, some of it was non-visceral, but most of it was visceral. That's the stuff that gets between your organs, and it can lead to heart disease and diabetes. And it's not a lot of fun. It can affect your sleep. It's one of the reasons people snore. A uh, crazy thing about unwanted fat gets into your beak and you have trouble smelling food and you get hot all the time. It stresses your heart out. It stresses out your bones and it leads you straight into the clutches of farmer. And they say, oh, we're so glad to see you. Have we got a bunch of pills for you? Since I took off 150 pounds of unwanted fat, I don't take any pill for my thyroid because I don't need any. You know, every time, like when I blew my shoulder up lifting weights and I went in and got my uh, heart rate checked and all that, the nurses came along and said, you've got the heart of a 22-year-old. I said, no, I've got the heart of what should be a 22-year-old in our society. It should be, no, this is what we should all have. So Soda Weight Loss are my partners for this. And when people call Soda or they go to sodaweightloss.com, S-O-T-A, weightloss.com, understand they put themselves up for a form of peer review. 7,000 Google reviews and counting, I think closer to 8,000 now, average 4.8 out of five stars from one location in Dallas, Texas to seven to now nationwide. Please do this math. When you get with them and they tell you how much uh, unwanted fat you can drop per week if you stick with the protocol and they tell you how much that's going to cost, please do this. Subtract the cost of the food because they're going to provide you with convenience foods and then amortize that cost for the rest of your life. Here's why. Mm. When I took off 150 pounds of unwanted fat, guess what? I'm still living with the benefits. So yeah, I invested some money for about 12 weeks, eight years ago. So you take that down to pennies, sub pennies per day, a hundredth of a penny per day, and then put on the other side of the cost, how much would pharma love to have you back on for three or 400 bucks a month? Or for surgeries, God forbid, it's sodaweightloss.com, S-O-T-A weightloss.com. So what I don't mind you for having your mind blown right now for what uh, Dr. Lawrence uh, Pilevsky is saying. I don't mind. I don't, I don't blame you. My mind's blown too. But let me just present this. You remember that uh, dopamine production problem? which is why people needed to, all the little kids, you know, like my daughter got on these, needs to take all the antidepressants. Remember, it was a dopamine uh, shortage. Except it's not. Yeah. Pharma came out. uh, Well, it wasn't even pharma. It was a group of scientists who did a, um, it's a meta-analysis. So they took Mm -hmm. peer-reviewed paper after peer-reviewed paper. They stacked them up. They did a meta-analysis and came back and said, well, would you look at that? There is no dopamine problem. There's no proof that there ever was one, ever. But you look at how many kids are on dangerously addictive psychotropics. You try getting the kid off of this stuff. 
it's like coming off of it's like coming off of fentanyl. You know the little tiny beads in a capsule. Um, look at taking off one of those beads every twelve weeks, and then if it's in a capsule form, how about shaving that with a nail file and just shaving it down? I mean, you can go get this done at um, compounding centers if you're lucky enough to have one. But that didn't make the news. Are you kidding me? And now pharma has invented um, this mRNA product. And look at that. Moderna purchased a company to uh, cure your heart with mRNA. And Pfizer, after they you know, harmed hearts, came out and said, oh, we got some mRNA for your myocarditis. So when Dr. Pilevsky sang, well, that there's no virus, or we've never seen a virus do harm. We've never seen it enter cells. That's never been observed. There was never a dopamine issue. And yet there's the pills. Uh, I hope that's an, an okay comparison, Doc. Well, again, the term nom- the term virus yeah. is a nomenclature to force a level of fear in the population. And so we walk around with this, oh, my God, there's a virus going around. Yeah. It's going to kill us. Because we are falsely idolizing and worshiping the gods of medicine, media, and government, because they would never steer us wrong or tell us something that wasn't true. So we bow down in subservience and obedience because they say, and therefore it is. And that's why we're in the trouble we're in today. Right. Because we parrot a mythology without actually thinking through whether or not what we're saying is true or what we're being told is correct or, oh my God, I, I've not researched this at all. I'm, I'm just becoming an expert on what is said to me without me actually ever thinking it through or researching it. So, oops, I live in a house of cards because I'm not able to substantiate what I'm saying, and therefore I have to defer to an outside authority who I have to pray is telling me the truth. Because if they're not, what does that mean for me? What did I do to me? What have I been doing to me? How much did I harm myself? And how much have I been duped? All these months and years. And, you know, if you've seen, I think it was in the Atlantic Monthly, this recent article about how we should start forgiving and forgetting. Yes. Yes. Uh, long yes. things that happened. And Emily, Emily like, Oster. But, but there's no. Yeah. The, Emily Oster. But there's yeah. no accountability. There's no like repentance. There's right. no. We are responsible and therefore we ask for forgiveness and forgetting. No, it's just, oh, uh, just brush it off. Uh, nothing. We didn't do anything wrong, right. but rub, please rub some dirt. Us. Rub some dirt on your myocarditis, on your dead family members, on your kid who committed suicide, Oops. on your business we shut down. Rub some dirt on it. Incidentally, I should, I should self-correct. It was not dopamine. It was serotonin. It was a serotonin. Serotonin. Uh, I, yeah, I not, not dopamine. Okay. Yeah, no, but I wanted to make sure that I'm not falling into bubble thinking. So we began this yeah. conversation talking about your time in medical school. This has been a constant with me. I am astonished at how many doctors 
um, know exactly what the mRNA injections, how they function, but they will not admit it. And, and they know exactly, um, for instance, the PCR test stuff. I, uh, from time to time, doctors will assault me, not physically, but rhetorically. It happened again recently. A guy told me, you are killing people. And I said, okay, well, how am I doing that with a podcast and a, and a, and a national radio show? And he said, by calling this stuff a PSYOP, you're killing people. And I said, okay, I will apologize publicly here to you now in front of all these kind people. And I'll apologize on my podcast, on my national radio show. If you can simply, if you'll simply answer a question for me. And he said, as long as it's not ad hominem. And I said, do you mean like walking up to a guy in a grocery store and calling him a murderer? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll not do that. Um, but I said, what, what is the benchmark for a case, doctor? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, you know what a case used to mean. You understood the protocol for coming up with the case. What was it in COVID? What was the measurement that indicated a case was present or a case wasn't? His response, we're done. That's it. We're done. I can't talk to you. Yeah. Oh, okay. And right. Todd, Todd, the, the establishment relied on a faulty test that the inventor of the PCR test, Carrie Mullis, specifically said, this test cannot be used to detect or conclude that there's an infection in the body. And despite him saying that, and despite him miraculously disappearing from the planet in August of 2019, very soon before the emergence of this, this thing, um, he was ignored. Yeah. And so... No one you sought him people, out. Right. You you had people who were in the 2020 and even into 2021 who were coming into the emergency room, heart attack, motorcycle accident, falling, breaking something, uh, diabetes. Uh, yeah, Shot themselves in the head. The normal stuff that would come into the ER. Yeah. And if their test was positive, that was labeled as a COVID case, even if they had no symptoms. And so the not only were the numbers amplified because of that, but the labs were using what's called a cycle threshold, yep. which manipulated the likelihood that it was going to be a false positive so that we would have more positive cases and would ramp up the number. And then what do you do? It's forcing the fear, using the nomenclature of viral cases, making people afraid of something that they had no understanding of. And one thing that I'd like to challenge you on what you said, because I don't know that what you're saying is correct. Not, not you, but yeah. you're quoting, I don't know that this is an mRNA shot. I mean, I don't know what's in those shots. These Fair enough. I, I don't know that it's mRNA. I know it's I, look. They call it. A, they call it a, the the bear CEO has admitted that it's a gene sequencing device. That it's gene therapy. Maybe um, Pfizer. Gene no, but therapy. that's that's what they've said. Um, that he said it. Maybe. Well, I, I don't know. I can't see. This is where my expertise ends because I can never get into you know, actually analyzing the, the chemical structure of this. Cause that's where my education, that's a black hole to me, well, but no I know it's not, I know they're not vaccines. Structure. I mean, doctor, these are not vaccines, 
right? Did, no, did these have I mean, any health benefits? I, I've been talking about this for two years that it's not a vaccine. Yeah. Did they have any health benefits? No, it's not. It's not a. It's not a vaccine. Yeah. For look, if you're injecting anyone who's injecting this material into their body, is injecting material that no one knows what's in it. No one. This injection is under the emergency use authorization, and under the emergency use authorization, they do not have to disclose all of the ingredients that are in the vials. Now, independent people around the world have done some analyses. And while I can't say I know exactly what they saw, I can only report what I heard them say that they saw, which should only make us want to get the authorities to really evaluate these materials. So one, they didn't find any genetic material in the shots. Number two, they found nanoparticles. Number three, they found hydrogel. Number four, they found graphene oxide. Number five, they found metals. Number six, they found coagulating materials that looked like they had some predetermined capacity capability of doing something, right? So again, I don't know that that's correct, but what I know is that from the scientific method, if reputable people are evaluating the vials and saying, this is what they find, don't you think the authorities should take a step back and say, wait a second, we should really look at this. Because, number one, EUA, emergency use authorization, doesn't allow for a complete list of what's in the vial from the, from the manufacturer. And number two, if this is an mRNA technology, which, again, I don't know, it's never been used before in the history of manufacturing vaccines. So if you're looking for understanding of whether this technology can work as a vaccine, you have no historical precedence to demonstrate whether or not an infectious disease could be prevented. So you have materials that are completely a shot in the dark because there's absolutely no knowledge about what this shot can do in relationship to solving an infectious outbreak. Even though I know in my heart of hearts, this was never an infectious outbreak. But still, if you're, if you're able to stay within the framework of the conventional thinking, and that this is a vax, this is a, an infectious outbreak, you still have to be able to prove scientifically, that this injection has the ability to reduce the incidence of an infectious illness. And there's no precedence for that. None. And the studies that were done didn't even evaluate whether or not that was true. Because very early on, 
late 2019, early 2020, the upper, upper elite experts said, we don't know if this will prevent you from having a SARS-CoV-2 infection. We don't know if it'll give you antibodies to protect you either. So what in God's name are you giving people? The unfortunate thing, and that's where we had the force of fear, was that people just idolized and worshipped falsely these false gods of medicine, media, and government, and just lined up because they thought it was going to save their lives. And lo and behold, we have seen people die, killed, maimed, damaged, injured, destroyed, left yeah. and right. I mean, you have to be living under a rock if you don't see the number of young athletes dying all over the world suddenly. Yeah. Well, and then the doctors if, in Toronto. I mean, the young and people. And the doctors in Toronto. Doctors, right. it was like as, a, it was a, a cell. I mean, what was it? 50 yeah. of them. And, but more, you, more okay. Than that. So let me ask you this. Um, you, we started talking about medical school and things weren't great then. And I, I, here's, here's my biggest frustration about all of this is that doctor who confronted me, he knew he couldn't answer my question. Um, I'm looking at Fauci. This is this. I want you to compare this as your time um, in the in the in the pediatric ER. Okay, the, the your pediatric ER, ER doc again. Let's let's go back in time. And a parent comes to you and says, "Doctor, oh my goodness, I, I need your help. My kid ate peanuts and his throat swelled up, and he went into this shock, and he got these terrible sores or, or, or rashes. Uh, what should we do?" You know, he's they're treating him now. But what should we do in the future? W would you advise that parent to, to give those kids, the kid peanuts after he recovered? No. OK. What would happen to you if you said, oh, you know, when he recovers, give him a peanut butter sandwich again and test it again. If you did that and that was your advice, what would have happened to your medical license? Oh, Todd, you're being logical here. Yeah. <laughs> You're, gonna... you're trying to be sequentially logical. And, and the fact of the matter is that um, there's no liability anywhere in society. There hasn't been liability in society for decades. We didn't just come upon this problem. The vaccine manufacturers have had complete liability, immunity to any liability since 2011, and almost complete immunity since 1986. So we have been we have been allowing corporations on every level to steal, rape, pillage, uh, uh, kill people left and right, suffer the fines of it, Right. And then we as a population just keep going back and buying but, their product. But OK, but they have that immunity. But Tony Fauci does not. And the big media that pushed this does not. The mockingbird media, as I call them, that continue to say safe and effective. And by the way, now we know through the document dumps that the CDC made it a goal to work with every host and every producer in media. We know that. We know that they made script writing stuff available. We know that. We know that they paid for this. There's a lot of people we can go after. 
And they acted as agents of the government in this. Fauci, he, he doesn't have immunity. And this is the guy who said, hey, if your kid, if your son's heart swelled up after the first injection, wait a couple of weeks and give him a second one. And that's OK. Those are the people I think we can go after. Right. I, I, God watches. God sees. I'm telling them they don't repent for this. They'll sit before the judgment throne and the Lord will have unkind things to say before they're banished. But you're telling me you See, don't think we can go after those folks that way? I don't really care to go after those folks that way hmm. because I believe that we are much better putting our efforts into healing this problem okay. and creating the kinds of societies that we need. So I agree with you. Yeah. It's God's issue. I mean, let them be, be uh, brought before the Lord um, and let the, let the dominoes fall where they might. Um, but this isn't the first time in history evildoers have gotten away with things like this. Um, I, I certainly believe that there's going to be a segment of the population that wants to hang them in town square and, you know, if that's what ensues, that's fine. But we can't lose touch with the fact that we have some new structures to build here, Todd. We have watched media crumble, banking crumble, the legal system crumble, the government systems crumble at the state, at the local, state, and federal level. We have watched medical institutions crumble. We have watched hospital systems crumble. We have watched laboratories crumble. We have seen educational systems crumble. Yeah. We ha we've seen food and agriculture systems crumble. Small business. We have all of this repair work to do. So I agree with you. There's going to be a segment of society that wants revenge and wants or justice. eye for an eye. And that's great. But I don't feel my energies are best served going after them because I do trust in a much greater picture to yeah. take care of those beings. I'm not so sure they're even human, but that's okay. I still think we've got a lot of rebuilding to do. Oh, well, there's no doubt. I sit on the charitable board of a, of a, a parallel society hospital um, that's way outside the system. And, you know, we, we, those doctors, I'm not on the medical side. I'm just on the nonprofit side. Thank God. Um, but those doctors get to practice medicine as they see fit pharma or no pharma. And it's, there's no insurance. There's no Medicare, no Medicaid. You know, we're seeing barter networks start, and I'm, I'm broadcasting or recording from North Idaho, way up in the mountains. We have, we have barter networks. Um, we have a lot of society to rebuild. Uh, and yes. the technocrats are going to fight us uh, every step of the way in that. And we're not the first we're not the first people to go through this. And, and I echo you in that, that this is simply our turn. Plus, God said it's going to come. Evil will be good and good will be evil. So I agree with you that we, we need to turn that corner. So um, in the couple minutes we've got left, what do you advise? Like uh, that's me. Parallel parallel economy that's that's me and 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 strong church environment and spend time with your family and 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 be a connected body of christ that's that's mine what's yours so i completely agree with you 
um, I, I, I'm happy to hear that there's that parallel system, although I don't see it as outside the system. I just see it as another system mm. because the system that's uh, currently in place is dying. So it's, it's taking its time. Oh, I see. It's a slow death. So um, I, that's why when people say to me, well, you know, how do you feel going against the grain? It's like, I'm not going against anything. I'm going towards the truth. I'm going towards the light. I'm going towards consciousness. I'm going towards relationship. I'm going towards community building. I'm going towards society building. I'm going towards critically thinking. I'm going towards consciousness. So what I feel we as a as individuals coming together need to do is start critically thinking, recognize that you don't know what you don't know, be curious about what you don't know, and be willing to learn and undo what you think you learned, be willing to be wrong, but not for the sake of shame and embarrassment and criticism, but for the sake of growth and uh, and healing. Be open to new ideas. Be willing to learn. And get your thinking cap on. We have relationships to build. We have uh, needs for people to come together and heal and and be in community working together to create something out of the ashes. And, you know, this phoenix always rises out of the ashes. And that's what we need. We need people who are willing to repent, who are willing to atone, who are willing to say, what did we do? Right? right. What did we do? And then say, how can we help? How do we learn new things? Where are our leaders? Right? Where are our healthy, trusted, less ego-based leaders? Where are the people who are less interested in, in, in taking our bank accounts and more interested in helping us to have our individual businesses and our individual lives? You know, we are, we are in the throes of crumbling and in the throes of building. And, and uh, some would say, oh, my God, this is terrible. I look at it as, wow, what an opportunity to build something wow. new. We begin our show um, every day um, when uh, and I, I you didn't hear this part because I was uh, just to, I hadn't yet brought you on. But I, uh, I say this is the day the Lord has made. And these are the times to which God has decided we shall live. And what that means is that God trusts us in these times and he expects us to do things in these times. His biblical uh, his biblical instructions are right there for us. And they do include everything you just said. Everything you just said. So, um, Dr. Lawrence Polevsky, I got it again. I felt good about that. MD, mind, roll, mind blown today. I, I appreciate you. And I always tell my guests, I always ask them to go with God's good grace. And so I'll ask you of that. Uh, ask that of you to go with God's good grace. And um, to the podcast family, this is why we do the show is blow minds occasionally and to honor God. This is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well. Be strong, be kind, and remember that the Bible tells us many, many times, come, let us reason together, right? God gave us intellect and skepticism for a reason, and it isn't just to walk around with it in our jarheads. God bless you.